Hello everybody, you're listening to Chronically Chilled on 3CR. Um, my name is Mario Pojega. Um, before we do anything, I want to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people um, whose land I am recording from today. Um, so for regular listeners, you may have noticed that we haven't had any new episodes of Chronically Chilled so far this year. There are a few reasons for that. Um, the biggest one is probably that I went and had a lung transplant, um, which has well and truly taken up um, my 2020 so far. Um, but we're back now, and I'm excited to say with a brand new team. Um, so at the end of last year, I put the call out to see if anybody was um, interested in joining Chronically Chilled as presenters. Um, it was because I kind of was predicting that um, I would kind of have a bit of an absence this year, but also was thinking it would be really great to have some new voices. Um, and I was really, really happy that these two ledgers wanted to get involved. Um, so rather than me introducing, um, I'll let them introduce themselves. Thanks, Mario. Um, hi, my name is Millie. I'd also like to acknowledge that I'm currently recording at home on the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri people and just to pay my respect to their elders past and present. Um, yeah, I've been on the show before talking about some of the writing that I've done about chronic illness with Mario. Um, I'm also an arts worker currently doing some stuff at the Emerging Writers Festival. And yeah, very excited to be back here to talk everything chronic illness. And uh, hi, I'm Naomi. I'm also a writer. Uh, and I've, I've been on the show before talking about chronic illness with, with Mario. Um, I would like to acknowledge that I am currently recording on the land of the Bunurong people and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Um, I'm currently uh, in quarantine, obviously, as everyone is, but um, working from home for Arts Access Australia. So I do a little bit in the disability arts uh, field at the moment. Yeah. Um, can I just say how excited I am to have a team? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm so looking forward to working with you both. And it's I good to be part of this team. I, I love this show. It's good to be here. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. And I don't know how you were doing it for so long by yourself, Mario. Yeah. Especially as a chronically ill person. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was all right for a while, but it's gotten a bit hard now. Yeah. Um, and I, I just wanted to say uh, the show isn't really going to change in a lot of ways because I think, um, you know, we're all wanting to get a lot of different people on to interview and you know the goal of the show really is to to kind of center the voices of chronically ill people and um to hear their experiences yeah that's right I think we've had a... to, yeah talk to a bunch of different people sorry Naomi no good um I was just gonna say it's funny that um like we've had an interesting experience trying to just arrange this show, having three chronically ill people well enough to record at the same time oh has actually been a bit of an it's taken like six months uh, in the in the making. Yeah. <laughs> let's talk for let's just chat for twenty minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, I I just wanted to ask Mario because you've obviously had some experience during this period of of being in and out of hospital a bit. Um, is that what's yeah. that been like? I mean, obviously for not coronavirus reasons, but what's that been like for you as a as a person with a chronic illness who's who's um, going through that at the moment? Do you know what? Like quarantine has been a relief for me. <laughs> um, I think I've spent more time in hospital this year than what I have at home. Um, so to just be at home doing absolutely nothing all day has been an absolute relief and um, been just awesome for me. 
um, it's weird because I, I had this, you know, huge operation in January and maybe a bit of a trigger warning for people um, just because I might talk about some medical stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I had a lung transplant but also had, like, huge heart surgery at the same time. Um, so it was like a 12-hour operation. I think I was, like, on the operating table open for, like, 46 hours before they actually closed me because I was bleeding and all this kind oh, of stuff. Oh, wow. So it was, like, a huge experience. Um, so the recovery has been really complex and complicated and there's been lots of different kind of um, things that have happened. So it's just been just uh, it's the, literally the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life. Um, so um, for me this kind of COVID stuff. I remember I was in ICU after the operation and this was in January. So COVID started to kind of come up and I was hearing all these conversations in um, ICU about it, like where all the doctors were talking about just how kind of, is this going to be serious? Is this going to be not serious? And all this kind of stuff. Um, And I don't think anybody really knew at the time how serious COVID was going to be or whether it was kind of um, something that might not be as serious as what people were thinking and stuff. Um, so mm-hmm. there's always been this kind of COVID thing there during my whole kind of experience since then. But to be honest, most it's kind of taken a real backseat for me um, because I've just been trying to get right after this, you know, operation. So um, I guess, yeah. Because I'm just sort of wondering when this all started this year, like you were saying, COVID stuff was sort of only just starting to happen. So when when did you actually get that um, surgery, Mario? In January. Yeah, well. And mm. can you talk, talk a little bit about, you know, what that was like for a lot of people who, you know, I know a, lot, a few people who are like on wait lists and mm. are um, thinking about, you know, starting that whole experience. Yeah. And I'm just wondering if you can talk a bit about that. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, I, th- I think when, when when we talk about transplants just in general and mm. you, you see it in the media or you see it on TV or you kind of hear about it, I think it's very much portrayed as like this thing that you just get and it's a gift of life, which it is, um, and I'm super grateful for it. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it's kind of like, this, you get this thing, this operation happens, and then it's all just amazing afterwards. Um, and it's hard. I don't want to generalise, and I, I've had quite a full-on experience, but in some ways I was always going to because um, I was really com- I'm really complex and my surgery was really complex. They were predicting kind of complications for me anyway. Um, mm. So it's I don't want to kind of make it out as if it's like a total struggle for everybody because some people do come out of surgery and it's kind of they're okay and they don't have many complications and they kind of get on with life and stuff. But for a lot of people, and I say for most people, in some ways it's you're swapping one set of problems for another set of problems because transplants do bring kind of secondary complications and you're on full-on medication, which is kind of creates kind of, you know, different side effects and all this kind of stuff. And I think a lot of people have this idea that it's now a total solution where you're just like, you're cured, Mm. you're no longer sick anymore. And I think, you know, that's kind of just not accurate in some ways. The way it's portrayed is kind of not the reality of it in some ways. Mm. Yeah. Have you felt that there's been some kind of pressure, like people are expecting you to just bounce back at this point? Or is that is that something that's coming externally, yeah, uh, do you feel like? 
Um, I think for I think some people do have that idea, like they just like oh well another thing or like another complication and another complication, like yeah they they just like you know at what point are you just going to be okay kind of stuff, and look you mm-hmm. know I've, I'm talking about a lot of complications and it's been pretty full on, but at the same time I'm also going up hills that I haven't been up go haven't been able to go up you know in ten years and stuff. Oh wow! So, you know wow. There's, there's lots of positives <laughs> too. Um, so you are, just, you're already getting positive positive effects from this. Totally. A, a few yeah, months yeah. later. So there's, oh, oh, that's wonderful. There's total. So there's heaps of positives and stuff. And like the way the doctors talk about it is also really weird because is that they don't look at it, they don't look at it in terms of the immediate. They're kind of mm. telling me, well, we're not really we're not really concerned that much about what you're like three months in. We're really looking towards what you're going to be like in three years' time. Um, and I was literally in hospital, like with an infection, and I had to kind of get fluid drained from my lungs. And for me, that's a really full-on thing, right? And I would have once upon a time gone in hospital, and that would have been a total drama and emergency and all this kind of stuff. And the head of transplant just goes, um, "Yeah, you're ahead of you're ahead of schedule in terms of recovery." And I'm like, "How can I be when I've got all this kind of major stuff going on?" Wow. And they're just like, "Well, it's because." some of this is really expected for you and we're looking at it in terms of the future and trying to get you right kind of, you know, in the long term rather than now. And it kind mm-hmm. of just doesn't, it has taken a lot of time to get my head around. And I think it's been like people around me as well. I think um, are also trying to get their head around it as well. You have to go through this huge process of, um, you know, you get all these tests done, um, you do a lot of talking, a lot of appointments and all that kind of stuff. And they warn you, and they try and warn you, and they kind of say, look, you know, expect that there's going to be some kind of complications afterwards, and this could happen, and this could happen, and they, you know, I walked out scared as, like, Mm. um, Mm. and I'm, you know, but they have to tell you that, of course, you know. Mm. Um, So, yeah, they kind of tell you, but it's kind of, for me, it's been, you kind of can't prepare for it. Just like chronically ill people, everybody's got their own experience and stuff. Um, mm. But it's been like the mental side of things has been just as challenging as the physical side of things. And I think that's the part where it doesn't get enough attention. Mm. That makes so much sense. Just how scary, you know, operations in general are scary, but then all of the unknowns that you're facing and all of this sort of pressure to be like, I've got this thing and now I'm meant to just be so relieved and like everything's meant to be okay now. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's such a thing, right? Yeah. And and the ups and downs, like it's just, yeah. you know, you're kind of thinking, okay, I'm I'm good now. Like, you know, you kind of start to feel okay and then something else happens and then kind of just the real ups and downs of it all, um, that's the challenging part. And I think, you know, it, it's I'm talking about transplants, but I, I think we could be talking mm. about any physical, physical kind of illness. Mm. Um, mm. Is there anything that you found helpful in this moment with that or...? Um, I've had to kind of slow down and just, it sounds really cheesy, but kind of just day-to-day stuff because all I wanted to do, all I want to do is just get out and do stuff. It must be surreal sort of coming out of that and then into a situation where everyone has to stay home. Yeah, like it's, I think coming home from hospital and I was, look, I was in hospital just like last week or something. That's when that the COVID stuff really 
that's the first time I've been really super, super worried about it because I didn't really want to be in hospital. And on, I was in a ward that was just like so packed, people on top of each other. Like it's really hard to social distance, all that kind of stuff. And I know everybody's doing their checks and, you know, it, the hospital's doing the best they can, but all mm. I wanted to do was get out of there. Um, Especially so. like there's, there's immunocompromised that happens totally. with, with having an operation, isn't there? Totally. Um, so I just, yeah, I just couldn't wait to get home from hospital. And I think there will come a time where I will be a bit more frustrated about it or kind of um, thinking about it more and all that kind of stuff. But like I said, at the moment, I'm quite happy to just stay at home because I need a rest. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Millie, you were saying you, ex- you experienced something that was kind of the opposite because you have... <laughs> been very ill for a long time but you were finally getting well enough to kind of get out a bit more um yeah and then you were told to stay home at that point was that how has that been for you yeah yeah this year has been so strange (laughs) um in that yeah I've sort of was finally feeling um yeah probably the most well I have in years and years and was getting ready like finally got this job and was going to go to part-time work which I haven't done maybe even since the teenager, like properly steady full-time job because I just haven't had the energy to do so, Um, you know, when I was making travel plans and all this stuff that feels very privileged to sort of whinge about um, not being able to do now. And I feel very lucky to still be able to have a job at all. But, yeah, it was weird going from pretty much being used to being quite housebound and bedbound um and finally being like I'm gonna start leaving the house more and you know making a bunch of plans to then sort of this all happening and um yeah going back to I sort of feel like I'm at my most sick even though I'm not and (laughs) just because I'm living the way I was when I was at my most sick but it's also in some ways it was good training for this I guess in that I, I felt that so much too. In the way. <laughs> I, I feel like I've spent the last You're 15 years like... training for coronavirus quarantine. <laughs> right. <laughs> I feel like so many of my friends are, you know, posting, ah, you know, in, it, I'm up to week seven or eight, I think, of self-isolation. And I saw friends in week one being like, how do you do, you know, I'm going nuts with boredom or whatever. Um, and I hadn't noticed. I still have barely noticed it in a lot of ways. Obviously, I'm, you know, I'm thinking about it all the time. And I'm, you know, worried about my neighbours and a lot of my chronically ill friends and stuff like that. But mm. the day-to-day stuff, I spend all day in my bedroom anyway. Do you sort of feel like that as as well? I'm having an interesting experience with this because I feel like with everyone else having to stay home now, it's almost like everyone else is in the same boat as we've been in for a very, very long time. Um, mm. But it's... It's sort of like, it's almost as if there's this false sense of solidarity that comes with that because if people, people are sort of relating it to their own experience as, as people who are well, who can go back to work when this is all over. Um, and for them, it's, it's very much, there's an awareness that it's temporary. I mean, there's a, there's a bit of, we don't know how long it's going to last. There's already sort of talk about opening everything up again now, but, um, you know, however long it does last, and even if there's like a second wave of the illness, whatever happens, the vast majority of people are going to be um, going back to their lives after this. And I guess for for me, it's been this sort of sense of I don't 
want to misconstrue that as genuine sort of solidarity with chronically ill people, but at the same time, it has felt like everyone has been in this boat with us um, mm. during this period. And at the end of it, they're going to get off the boat and we're still going to be in the boat. And yeah. I, th I think I'm starting now that people are talking about going back to life as it was starting to feel the loss of that, of that, that, um, I, like, I think it was false solidarity, but it, it still felt like solidarity <laughs> for a little while. Um, and mm. I think it's now the realization is happening that that's not going to continue. Uh, so that's been a bit of an interesting realization for me over the last sort of week, I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah, totally. I think I felt that too in terms of I felt less like fear of missing out <laughs> um, because, yeah. you know, I think often as a chronically ill person, you, you know, you're looking at Instagram stories and you're seeing all your, you know, people out at parties that maybe you can't go to because you're too unwell and it's mm. been a relief to not see that stuff anymore and be like everyone's sort of living the same way but also it obviously yeah. is so different and it's very different to be um, at home in pain or going through the side effects that Mario is currently going through mm. um, is a very different experience to just being at home because you have to to help protect other people um, so you're right that it's not you know there is some solidarity of what the experience is like but it's definitely not the total same thing and it's it's been interesting because a lot of things have become more accessible to people who have to stay at mm -hmm. home like there's a lot more oh, happening totally. yes like people's jobs have become work from home mm -hmm. there's been like you can get telehealth conferences not conferences but like you know telehealth appointments with your doctor yeah um which a lot of homebound or bedbound people have not been able to access um and i think like i mean i get very if I have to go to a doctor's appointment, I have to recover from that doctor's appointment because I had to go into an office, uh, which, which I'm physically able to do. So I have been doing it, but I mean, there are people who haven't been able to get to the doctor at all. Um, and to suddenly be able to do that without having to recover afterwards, if you just need to see the doctor for something simple that doesn't require you to be there. Um, it's been, yeah, it's, it's been this interesting thing of like, Oh, that's accessible. Will it stay accessible? <laughs> is this is this only yeah. while the able-bodied people need it or is this gonna mm -hmm. is this gonna stop when this ends um so that's yeah that's a that's an interesting thing for me like is that this has proven that the access is possible and within a relatively short period of time like it was just they clicked their fingers and suddenly we were able to do it um that's what i was gonna say it's it's not only accessible now but like it only took a few weeks to adjust and yeah. like people have been calling, you know, people who are disabled or chronically ill or have been calling for this kind of stuff for years and it's always been too hard or too hard or, you know, we can't do that and all this kind of stuff. Like mm -hmm. this has proven that we can do a lot of stuff to make things accessible. You know? And they could have done it years ago is the other thing. Yeah, like it's like, not that hard. Yeah. So it's, it's a real sort of eye-opener in terms of who, who are the people who are the priority and who is not a priority. Yeah. yeah which is and that's the yeah. thing yeah and even in the media or even on tv and stuff you, you see all these stories being done about you know what are people you know people the struggle is around how do people exercise and all this kind of stuff mm -hmm. you know the the problem is to, you know what do you do with boredom or you know all this kind of stuff you know all these stories on tv um 
and I feel like there's been a real lack of kind of yeah, yeah disabled people talking about you know um, the fact that um, they've been struggling with you know this has been kind of a lot of people's lives for a lot of a lot for a long time now and you know it, this is just another layer of, of of difficulties for people yeah yeah it's it's interesting in a sense there has been more attention paid because we're talking about these are like you hear this term vulnerable people a lot at the moment so mm. those vulnerable people are getting a lot more attention than they might have under normal circumstances i think that vulnerability is just sort of taken for granted when it's flu season or whatever but it's um yeah there's there's more focus on it now and on protecting people but i think it's for um people who are long-term chronically ill, it's about protecting them from the virus. Whereas people who are not long-term chronically ill, it's about protecting them from the the mental illness that can come with being cooped up all the time. Whereas right. if you're chronically ill, it's kind of a foregone conclusion that you're going to be stuck at home all the time. So you can deal with, it, it's like they think you have some mm-hmm. more capacity to be able to deal with that stuff than someone who's able to work mm-hmm. full time. Whereas, mm. I mean, that for me, that was what I had zero support with when I first became ill. Mm. Um, there was this whole grieving process that happened over the life that I thought that I was going to be living. And then, you know, there's this big adjustment that happens. But there was absolutely no sort of mental health support. There was no, how do we protect you from boredom? Yeah. There was no, where, you know, now we have people who are stuck yeah. in their homes for maybe a month or two. And suddenly it's like, how do we, how do we look after their mental health? Um, yeah, there are all of these listicles about 10 things to do at home. And I'm like, oh, I could have actually really used this. This, this would have been <laughs> um, handy 15 years ago. Is... <laughs> yeah. yeah. And also I think it's important to note, you know, like while, yes, you, you know, we're seeing the media, even just like seeing the term chronically ill people, I'm like, oh, I can't remember seeing that ever this much in the news. Um, but still I don't, I still don't really think I'm hearing or have read much from chronically mm. ill people talking about, you know, being scared of what this virus will mean for them. And I've still been seeing so much of the sort of rhetoric about, don't worry, it only, you know, basically it only sick people will die. Yeah. Um, only, only those people, those which people is really, don't matter as much as yeah. in, in inverted commas people. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> which is pretty upsetting to see, I think for a lot of people is to sort of, you know, you really, this stuff really exposes who people prioritize and whose lives people think matter. And, you know, we've already been seeing that overseas with, you know, the really scary stuff of people who's being prioritized and treated in hospitals, mm. which is not disabled people. Mm. Um, and I'm yeah. sort of like, yeah, I want to hear how disabled people are actually feeling about that rather than, you know, mostly able people speaking for speaking to that as a sort of side note yeah uh, that's and what, i think that's what i was trying to get to but it's, yeah. it's like a side note um yeah and it's even in government policy you know they didn't mm-hmm. raise the dsp for example you know <sighs> they prioritize people Still. That, they prioritize people that have been yeah. you know, now out of work suddenly you know, yeah. yeah for example you know Which, so it's even in government government policy that the message mm-hmm. is well in some ways people are extendable if it comes down to it you know you know restrictions might end for people and people you know i think people are kind of now calling for you know when a restriction is going to end and stuff like for me this is the restriction isn't going to end 
mm. you know. Yeah. And I think what you were talking about, Naomi, is, is because everybody is now working from home and stuff, is that going to continue? Because for us, it act, for me, things might actually get harder when restrictions finish, do you know? Yeah, because um, there's that expectation I, that you're yeah, so going to be able to it, behave like an able-bodied person once that becomes the normal. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, totally. You know, so yeah, that's another thing. That's another layer. And are people then going to automatically forget about people that are, you know, immunocompromised or disabled or chronically ill? Yeah, totally. Because I've just noticed even it's sort of more normal to wear, you know, a face mask out in mm-hmm. in public, which I know a lot of my immunocompromised friends would want to do anyway in public because it's always a bit of a risk going out in public to even just get the flu. So that's not new. But now that's sort of seen as like, okay, it's a bit more acceptable. We know why you're doing that. And I wonder if, you know, think if we'll lose that empathy and understanding and also, yeah, for going out into the world, I'm really scared that they'll suddenly be like, you need to still come in. And I guess at least now we have this to prove that things are possible that I'm hoping we'll be able to go, well, we could do it then. Why can't we keep doing it? I'm hopeful as well. Yeah. But I'm also nervous. um, Yeah. So on that uh, note of nervousness nervousness and also hope, uh, we might actually have to close the show out there because we're out of time. Um, But thank you, everybody, for listening. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I'm glad someone's been keeping track of time because I, I totally have <laughs> <had> it. <laughs> There's so much to talk about and I'm excited to keep having these conversations with each yes. other and with a yep. bunch of other people moving forward. Yeah. So uh, this has been Chronically Chilled on 3CR with Mario, Millie and myself, Naomi. You can listen to the podcast on www.3cr.org.au and we will be back on the first Wednesday of each month. We'll see you next month.